Good morning, everybody. And by morning, I mean night, because by the time you're listening to this, it will probably be the evening. But it is early in the morning in California, which is all that matters. And that means that we are one day closer to dead. I know that's my first thought when I wake up in the morning. I am Dave Vaudry. And I am Jason Bailey. And Jason, I think it is appropriate that we start off the show by acknowledging that it is Pride Month. And it is a fact that at the end of this show, you will be coming out of the closet. Well, it's it's Pride Month, and I actually started my day by going into the closet. So I think that uh, it's really a sad thing when on, on the month that I can come out, I'm actually going back in the closet. It's really sad, actually. So why why are you burrowed away inside of a closet right now as we speak? <laughs> Because the zombie apocalypse has happened in Lexington, Kentucky. I knew this was going to be the fucking epicenter. Goddamn. Hey, man, you got nunchucks and weapons behind you. You'll be all right. <laughs> Goddamn MAGA zombies. Anyway, uh, no, what happened was we, for scheduling purposes, usually we record at night, which is great. But uh, we had to record in the morning. Every once in a while, we have a morning episode. Uh, and they have a different quality, I've noticed, too, which is uh, not a bad thing. It just it seems like there's a little more energy. And I don't know if it's the coffee. I don't know what the fuck it is. But hey, yo, we're in the morning. So anyway, I was getting ready to record, getting my notes, getting my research, all my bullshit that I normally do uh, to get this uh, this show to, to be as stellar as it is on my end. You and, do research? Uh, Yes, I'm the one of us that actually does the research. And oh, wow. so then Who knew? It was so goddamn loud around my apartment, affectionately known as HQ, that uh, I said, well, maybe it'll stop. But they're reconstructing the wall here around the fucking place, the perimeter. They're power washing shit. I got like, I don't know, people coming down on ropes, cleaning the windows. It was just ridiculous. It was like a three ring construction circus here. So I was like, I, these motherfuckers have to stop. I have an international podcast to do. They have to fucking conclude this. Well, they weren't. So then I've always had in the back of my head this idea that if things got really fucking horrible with sound quality, because this is the odd thing. Dave lives in Los Angeles. I live in Lexington. Dave has a much more serene podcasting environment than I do. Go figure. It's just a weird, it's a weird deal. So that's, I always, that's by that's by design. I've got a pit bull that I can't do much about when yeah. she gets rowdy. But yeah, but at any rate, uh, I I always have it back in my head to go to this uh, closet that I have in the master uh, bedroom area, and it is like unbelievably quiet. It doesn't matter what the hell's happening outside; you can't hear jack shit in here. So I just ten minutes before we started recording right now, I was like, "Fuck it," and I moved my whole goddamn setup the whole computer audio setup to the closet uh and honestly this is one of the things that apple does very well it's like three fucking plugs and you can go anywhere you want with it so uh got it done and uh here i am on pride month going into the closet and but the interesting part is the background's got to be a lot better for dave than usual because this is where i keep all my weapons that my grandfather grandpa jim made me good stuff this is from my childhood this huge thor fucking hammer but i mean uh yeah so that's why i'm in the closet ladies and gentlemen and oddly enough to to have a podcast that sometimes you can hear a lot of background noise on the jason end uh, this might be the best sounding podcast we've ever done and it was just by accident well now you've cursed it because now it's going to get fucked in the editing <laughs> in, or the yeah it's, it's exactly <laughs> 
Skype will suddenly decide to cut out in the middle. Like you, t- you just totally curse this goddamn hour. I know it. We are cursed anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, we're one day closer to dead. What do you expect? So, uh, Jason, I was saying you should move your bed in there if if uh, all else fails. And I would really like to know where the fuck did this come from? Because it would be quiet. You could sleep peacefully. You wouldn't uh, have the motorcyclist yeah. like running around like that at all hours bother of the me. fucking I, night. I use earplugs. I I'm fine. I'm good on that. No, we're not moving everything into the goddamn closet. Okay, can we get off the fucking closet thing for a while? Jesus. I guess. Uh, is there any feedback or anything you would like to open the show with from inside your private safe space there? Yes, Dave, there is. Quiet safe space. Fuck you. Hey, a lot of you guys out there are contributing to the podcast so much now that our feedback section at the beginning has become like, you know... It's own goddamn thing. It, 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 so we're really proud of this. And thank you very much for collaborating with us on, on uh, One Day Closer to Dead. Because really, it's for you. And, and uh, sometimes I just feel flat out lazy because you guys are giving us a lot more ideas than even we come up with sometimes. But I want to get uh, a couple, um, well, actually about three points of feedback uh, this week. Firstly, we got contacted uh, on our wonderful email address by Carlos. Carlos is contacting us um, out there in Israel, and uh, he's a a big fan of ours and actually said that he didn't know if we were aware or not, but we have transitioned from iTunes to Apple Podcasts. I don't know anything about this because it's Jason. I know know Apple's been transitioning in general away from iTunes, but as far as the, the show's status in that process, no, I wasn't aware one way or the other. No, because out of all the platforms we've used, I'm not gonna try to you know, knock anybody, but one of them has been, um, fairly cantankerous in, in, in us be trying to work with them. I'm not going to say who, but it involves what I'm talking about. So no, I did not know that iTunes uh, did the Apple podcast tran- transfer with our show, but he says ever since that happened, uh, he started listening in Israel. He says that he has friends or know people in Portugal as well that listen oh, to wow. us. And That's the thing awesome. is, the interesting uh, part about this is on the international rankings that I look at for our show, I don't see either one of these pop up that much so obviously we have not gathered that much information or intel on the apple podcast distribution of our show or listenership whatever but anyway i just want to say hey carlos thank you very much for reaching out to us and letting us know that you listen to us and and how well we're doing out there so thank yeah you that's awesome much. i love that yeah that's good stuff uh also we got uh, contacted by one of our platinum dozens that is the wonderful julian king our own in-house lando calrissian and he uh, got back to us on some feedback from a show that we did well i mean is probably five six episodes ago um called um fight flight or fuck it and when fight flight or fuck it came out uh, it was about just respond responding to emergency situations or the protection of other people around you and my sort of just being exasperated with why isn't anyone else fucking doing this except a very few people for context this was around the time there the video went viral in i think it was new york wasn't it where the old lady the lady got attacked and then the security guard inside of the apartment or hotel or whatever just locked the door and like didn't even it's there were three dudes on the other side who didn't even attempt to like do anything to his sister that was what kind of prompted that discussion for people who haven't heard that episode yeah and also in a uh, in a a personal uh story i there was a gentleman that 
started causing a lot of trouble in my restaurant that needed to be um, escorted out. So the, the interesting part about that is, you know, just talking about my experiences and then Dave had some of his experiences on dealing with emergency kind of situation, both in, a, you know, toward people who are being aggressive, but also an emergency medical situation and stuff like that. And how very few people seem to be responding to this. It's uh, because and, the world is a dumpster fire, Jason. Did you know that? <laughs> yes, I did because it truly fucking is. Continue. So, so the thing is that, um, when it came out, I thought, you know, well, I just had to get it off my chest because I've had enough of this fucking being the only person to do any goddamn thing about anything that pops off. And it was sort of the next week or two, uh, we got, or at least I did, I got a little bit of a pushback, gentle pushback from the, the dozens, the listeners. And it was sort of like they felt I was like self-defense shaming them. or I don't even know what you would call it. But a lot of them were like, look, you and Dave are you and Dave. So you and Dave know how to do you and Dave. We are not you and Dave. So therefore we will not do us like you and Dave. And it was just really people did not respond to it. Kind of like, it is what it is, fucker. You're better at that kind of shit than we are. So yeah. And I was just still like, what the fuck does that mean? Anyway, it wasn't talked about very much after that. But uh, uh, Julian King liked this episode quite a bit, and he said that it reminded him of something that he had read, and so instead of just copy-paste somewhere, he just sent me the goddamn book, and uh, it's called Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek, or Sinek, and that's S-I-N-E-K, and I don't know how to pronounce the gentleman's name, but uh, it's really a book about leadership, and particularly, um, you know, he got a lot of this material from... Uh, the United States Air Force and United States Marine Corps. And it's basically about officers eat last. And you put all uh, the further down you are in the food chain, the subordinates, they go first in eating and you protect them first. And he was making, and I read uh, the specifically the chapters he wanted me to read that, that kind of went along with fight, flight, or fuck it. And he was sort of making the case um, that it is, you know, I just look at it like it's just a response system. Like some of us have a response system, like a cat sees something move, they fucking chase it. It is just, you either have it or you don't. And lots of people don't have it anymore. Well, in this chapter, it was a lot about, there are just people who are certain leaders. They are almost born leaders or they learn to be a leader. And there is this um, civilization loop where if you're a leader, you immediately want to protect those around you and exchange for getting the perks of protecting the people around you. And this is something that I guess, you know, in uh, civilization, historians and scientists have realized this is why people don't have a problem with great leaders, uh, but they do have a problem with shitty leaders uh, because they are willing to take all the perks of that leadership, but not take care of of all those that that follow them and well, I, I can't think of any recent examples of that jason yeah, can you course. oh many 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 i think we discuss them <laughs> all the time on the dumpster so so really it's sort of like you know when dave was you know protecting people around him or i or i did my thing or if you out there are the ones that are rushing to someone to do a heimlich maneuver or cpr or just being concerned right away and have that there he's making the case that it's it's there's a leadership quality that people have or they don't have because they feel the need to protect 
people and it and it was a very interesting thing and i'm going to read the whole the whole book but um i really thank uh julian king for listening to that and taking that to heart because it's a big deal and he says um he, he did not feel like i was emasculating uh the male listeners out there as much as some people really did um but he he said that it's more just about there's less and less people willing to step up and be leaders that leadership is really what that that when shit pops off you taking control and and responding to the situation right away i mean people could talk about that indefinitely whatever they like but um it was awesome i thank him for the response the book and uh you know i love doing episodes where down the line a week or two later you start getting feedback because people have thought about it a lot and uh this and, is and the excite email might take a little while to actually process and and deliver the messages <laughs> that's absolutely the fucking truth God damn, it's, Ju- it's julian probably ever. julian probably uh, sent this thing like a month ago he probably did. So, at any rate, thanks again, guys. Uh, and that's something for you guys to think about. And we're still we're still always uh, willing to go over topics we've covered. I mean, fucking months, years ago. So, contact us with this kind of stuff in the future, all you dozens out there. And then, lastly, we have received from several different listeners, some of our faithful dozens, and one in particular we have received uh, this from. It is the great Joe Baca. Joe Baca, the greatest, largest, biggest Star Wars fan of all fucking time. Otherwise known as the Tooth Fairy. The Tooth Fairy. Also sent us this little bit of information. So you know when he weighs in on it, the motherfuckers got to get talked about. Uh, Disney has quietly stopped using uh, the name for Boba Fett's ship in all related Disney fucking everything. They didn't make an announcement about it, but it's been noticed. And then there are interviews with certain uh, toy executives or what have you, where it is come out that uh, Boba Fett's starship is, has been named for years for 40 fucking years. Slave one, the slave one is the name of Boba Fett's starship. And it's caused a lot of in joking and a lot of, uh, I remember on robot chicken, there was some good jokes about, uh, Lando Calrissian really not uh, liking that name too much. Uh, and it was, uh, interesting, but they said, um, you know, we didn't make an announcement, but that's going to be the name of Boba Fett's starship is going to be retired. There will be no more slave one. So the diehard, this is a no brainer. The diehard star Wars fans like, what the fuck? it's slave one it's always been slave one it'll always be slave one to me it's still real to me damn it anyway um that whole thing's going on where other people are like no it's that this doesn't need to be named this there's no need for this any further we're going forward so at well, any so rate just want one, to throw that out there what do you think dave one very important point is there is a upcoming show that disney is producing for disney plus where boba fett is going to be i believe the main character i think it's called is it called the book of boba fett am i indeed it is yes okay so the issue is if they're doing that i believe boba fett needs to be the protagonist of said story where he was always a villain in the in the original movies in his he he became a tweener he became a tweener he did but when that happens uh it's, it's tough to make him a sympathetic baby face, if we're talking in wrestling terms, if he has a ship named after slavery. So part of that is, is I don't think it's just a matter of, quote-unquote, political correctness. I think it's also a matter of basic storytelling, that if you're turning a villain into a 
into a good guy or someone that the audience is going to be more sympathetic to then also from a storytelling standpoint like certain things about that character need to kind of change now the way i would do it if i were disney is in the book of boba fett just have that ship be you know destroyed or whatever and then the name doesn't necessarily matter and then boba gets a new ship and you name it whatever and then you move on um you know, I, I understand both viewpoints. It's not a hill that I would be willing to die on because, you know, I, defending anything with slave in the name, I think, is kind of a uh, a, a foolish endeavor. Um, I don't think the ship was ever named specifically in the films. Like, I think it was just something that was in other canon, I believe, correct? I don't think it would ever had that name in the movies. It's not like they need to change dialogue or something to make that switch. Am I correct? Uh, that's uh, to my knowledge, and I, this is the times I really wish that we had some sort of satellite link up to Joe Baca because I have questions after you're done. I always knew it was Slave One, just even growing up, because they would label it in books, toys. You knew toys. it was Slave One, yeah. but I think that uh, in possibly the Clone Wars or some some kind of other speaky talky media, it has been referred to as Slave One. But like I said, I don't know which ones at all. Uh, but you're you're right in the movie. It's not like Han goes. We're following Slave One to the ends of the earth. No, I yeah. Don't think the original so. films is never mentioned, to my knowledge. Yeah. Um. So you know, I I understand it. I I am not horribly offended by it. I think I think it's a fool's errand to try to go back and change history to where the ship was never named Slave One. You know, like I, I just think that's you're fighting an uphill battle there. But as far as changing it moving forward, especially with that series coming out, if the ship is going to in any way play a role, which I'm assuming it will, then, you know, why not? I, I, I don't see any harm there. Yeah, well, um, you know, what, what I was thinking about is, uh, you know, I sort of, I understand what you're talking about, the story element, but honestly, I don't think it's that at all. I think they knew Disney obviously knows Boba Fett's a very fucking popular character. And they know oh, yeah, there's, there's money of, to be made there. There's a lot of motherfucking merchandise to be had out there. And it was just not any kind of hill they were willing to die on or go to battle on at fucking all when, you know, you're retiring... Uh, all this other uh, branding of items like Uncle Ben's rice and fucking Aunt Jemima and all this is going away as it should. Uh, the General Lee from Dukes of Hazzard yeah, is a so big the conversation is, piece. There, Boba Fett is not just an, a, a great character. He's, he's one of the most popular in Star Wars. Now you're having a fucking show about Boba Fett. If they just didn't want to refer to fucking Slave One anymore, and they didn't want to sell any toys with that fucking name on it. Now, that's the bottom goddamn line. Um, the, the thing is that they're calling it Boba Fett Starship until they probably come up with a, something else, or maybe they'll just refer to it that permanently. But let's not get it twisted here. Disney just did not want to fucking go down that goddamn road. So they're like, no, no, no. It's, we're not fucking it's Slave One's over. We're done with that. And you know what? I don't think it's that big of a deal. I really fucking don't. Um, did Joe Baca say what his opinion was in the message that he, he sent? did? He did not. So I would love okay. to get feedback on that. But the, uh, another thing is, I also disagree. Don't blow up the fucking ship. You might as well blow up Boba Fett. I like the whole getting everything from the past up there and, and working it. So I love his ship, period. Uh, but it reminds me a lot of just uh, even 
shit, 10, 15 years ago, there was this slight retiring of the version of Princess Leia that was held captive by Jabba. It was always known as Slave Girl Leia. That's yeah. always how it was labeled growing up. If you got an action figure in the metal bikini, it was Slave Girl Leia, Slave Girl Leia, Slave Girl Leia. And some, and this is before Disney bought it. Uh, somebody somewhere Which, was like, given we, given the context, that name made sense. <clears throat> yeah, but they were just like, we're not. No, a it's it seems like it's demeaning to females. Period. But it also has slave in it. We're it had been that. fetishized. There's no yeah, denying. Oh that. yeah. Well, I mean, friends definitely brought it to the forefront. That that scene where you know he has one of the characters dress up in the Princess Leia outfit from being Jabba's captive, and you know that's I think for a lot of fanboys that that yeah it's right up there with the Baroness for me. So at any rate. Um, they got rid of that name slowly but surely because of the same reason, and this was before Disney even bought it. So, the you know, Slave is definitely being taken out of the lexicon of stuff that children watch and children enjoy too, which I, I kind of get. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I don't know why fucking some Star Wars fans are fucking losing their god. Well, I do know they're fucking Star Wars fans, uh, losing their mind over it. But I had a couple questions, and I direct this to Joe Baca. I'm doing it on the air so that we can all hear hear the questions I have for him. So it's just not private research. I can't figure out for the life of me in the research I did, why George Lucas, who did name this ship slave one, why he named it this. I'm not saying kill George Lucas, blah, blah, blah. We should kill George Lucas for other reasons, namely the prequels. Uh, but I would really like to know where this came from because I can't find it. You can find the history of slave one, the ship, you can find what he used it for, blah, blah. But there is no you don't know why the character Django Fett named it that, but really specifically, I'd like to know why George Lucas named it that, because I just, I think it's a bizarre thing to come up with even 40 years ago. It he seems might, like a bizarre thing. He might not have even come up with it. It might've been something that somebody in one of the books or something had done, but he certainly approved it. There we There's go. No but he, he's the Vince McMahon of his universe and he would, yes, he gave absolutely. the, he gave the okay on, on that one. And like I said, I'm not trying to fucking say, you piece of shit. I am just out of absolute fucking curiosity, you know, where the fuck did this name even come from? Because I'd really like to, to know, you know, specifically. So, you know, that that's one of the uh, big questions. And on, honestly, I would also like to know his take on it personally, just like you said, because... He is like the biggest Star Wars fan I know. He can read like Star Wars fucking writing in there in different languages. He's fucking crazy. He's crazy. So, I mean, I would like to know also the listeners out there, the dozens, what do you guys think about? It? Do you think it's just a harmless who gives a shit kind of thing? Or do you think, yeah, we should probably get rid of all that kind of uh, slave labeling of things? I saw one response on the internet, Dave, that's like, well, I understand, you know, you can't go down to the DMV and get slave. That's fucking wrong. I have seen at least in my life two or three times personalized license plates that reference slave one. I it have depends. seen at least three. And, and you can tell there it's the way they want it spelled out and their whole fucking car is like in the motif of Boba Fett's starship. So that's incorrect. You absolutely can, or at least you used to be able to. It, it depends on what state you live in. Uh, some DMVs are, are more stringent about what they will and will not allow for personalized plates. And also, yeah. yes, like you said, those standards, I believe, have changed over the years. But it, yeah. it very much is dependent on the state in which you live. 
I think that if you live in Hazard County, you can do it. But at any rate, I would like to hear from Jobaka on all this good stuff because as our media changes and as Disney buys every last goddamn motherfucking inch of it, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of things that go that we grew up with, both good and bad. But this one, uh, as far as Jason Bailey goes, I don't give a shit, and it's I don't and I don't even understand why it was ever named that. So that's uh, that's my uh, two five cents on that one. So. Wonderful. Uh, anything any, Anything else to uh, delve into, Jason? No, I just wanted to say, guys, thank you very much for the feedback. You have no idea how much it influences our conversation on your favorite niche podcast. And, and how can they provide that feedback, Jason? You can always somehow try to maybe do a carrier pigeon thing. I know now we have fans in Portugal and Israel. It might take a while, uh, but it would certainly get to us faster than our actual email address, which is askdaveandjason at excite.com. Because, well, God damn it. Boba Fett's exciting. You know, we bag on Excite so much, it would suck if they suddenly were like, fuck you and shut down our email. <laughs> Not really. On. <laughs> Honestly, I've even there've been people who are loyal to that, but there's a lot of people that just shake their fucking heads. I think it would be a momentous occasion if we had a new email address. So I hope they keep working for us. I hope that does it, but you know, you never know. Relationships come and go. There's no permanence in life. Uh but thank you for trying to be something for us right now, Excite. We never knew we would have this partnership with you, but uh thank you. Thank you very much for kind of working. Well, they were the second choice behind Alta Vista, if I remember correctly. That's true, and too bad because it was going to be Alta Vista. Didn't know they uh, weren't a company for like twenty years, but well, that's that's on brand. Yeah, that's totally that tracks. <laughs> next, next, it'll be a net zero account. <laughs> Jason, what's all that dial-up shit I hear in the background? Hold on a second, I got a deal working for us. No, no, in the closet, man. We can't <laughs> hear any of that shit. That's the whole point. <laughs> all right, what are we doing here? Well, the world is a dumpster fire, Jason, and so is the housing market. Did you know that? Yes, I certainly did. Did you know why? Because we're about to talk about it. it truly fucking is. So, um, yeah, the housing market is shit. Unless, I mean, for some people it's great. If you're selling a house, it's definitely a seller's market right now. And, you know, more power to you. But we'll, we'll get into that in a moment. And then homelessness <laughs> is skyrocketing, especially in Los Angeles, which is, you know, where I uh, lay my tent currently, thankfully not literally. Uh, so, Jason, uh, why don't you start us out here, kind of give us an overview. I will step in and we will talk the problem with the dozens that seems to have no solutions from the people in power. Well, this is one of those topics that actually the, the what I'm going to bring to the conversation is not a lot of facts and figures. What I'm going to bring to it is just my personal experience uh, with it, living in Los Angeles, okay? Uh, for probably, I mean, months, if not a year, Dave and I have gone back and forth where we should, you know, probably discuss the homelessness issue. Uh, and of course, it's a worldwide issue. It's a national issue. But I, from my personal experience, I can talk about the issues I've witnessed uh, in Los Angeles. And Dave, of course, lives in Los Angeles, um, so we've talked, we've really thought about it for a while, but there were so many things going on, uh, that we never really got our, the grasp of how we want to talk about it down. Well, finally, there's a lot of stuff that all rolled into one little nice, uh, well, not nice, but a terrible package that we're going to be uh, discussing today. When I, um, first moved out to LA, 
it was 1998, uh, summer of 98, July of 98. And I had come from New York City and I was in New York City for about four, about four years, okay, before I came to LA. And there was homelessness there. You know, of course there was. In every big city, there is. Um, but you would see it, you know, sporadically and, you know, the same people on the corners uh, that you would give money to every day. I mean, you got to know their fucking names. I would, I remember striking up conversations with one of them that I knew that was around St. Patrick's Cathedral. He was from Knoxville. That's how I got to know him, you know, and they're real people. And you ask them, like, how do you do this? Well, because I was just a curious young man. I was 18, 19 years old and I wasn't like I had some morbid fascination. I was genuinely concerned and was like, how do you uh, end up homeless in New York city and how do you even live? You know? So it was always um, odd and fascinating to me that we have a civilization that cannot uh, provide housing for all the members of its society uh, here in the United States of free enterprise. Moving out to LA, one of the first things that I noticed and it kind of goes hand in hand is, and this is, you're going to have to hold your laughter back dozens. Okay. Cause I've said this story before and people are incredulous. I couldn't believe how fucking cheap LA was. And that's the truth. When I moved out in 98, I remember looking at the rental prices, the price of food, the price of gas. I remember gas stations in North Hollywood and whatnot. It would be under a dollar a gallon. I don't know, you know, what they were selling there in those nozzles, but it wasn't very expensive. And coming from New York City to LA was just like a fucking paradise. I had come from the planet Hoth that was freezing all the time and you had to pay through your asshole to live there, okay, in a in a shitty rental in Queens with four or five dudes stacked on top of each other to make it, to, just to, to, to stay there, to fucking LA having a nice big apartment. The weather was fucking great and it was cheap. At least it was cheap to fucking me because of I came from New York City. So I just thought, have I gone back to the 1950s? This is amazing matter of fact some parts of burbank like on magnolia street you really do feel like you're still in the 19 motherfucking 50s if you walk down that street so i was just enamored i was like i have no idea why people think la is horrible i don't know why people think well i was in one of the better sections of los angeles that's what the fuck it was and you, um, you hadn't been on the 405 no. yet <laughs> <laughs> no, if I had been on 405, but I mean like downtown where, where, where Skid Row was and things of that nature. Okay. So as the years progressed, uh, I witnessed firsthand the skyrocketing, and I mean unfucking believable skyrocketing of rental prices going through the roof. Um, and it was double, it, there was sometimes my rent was doubling because it was not rent control every six months. I mean, every six fucking months they'd hand out. I know you were paying, you know, like I think at one point I was paying like 400, but next month you need to pay 800. No fucking kidding. And this was happening to everybody. Okay. It was getting stupid where people were having to figure out what to do just to live in Los Angeles, just in a shit box. And believe me, my apartment was called the hot box for a reason. It was like a torture chamber. There was no air conditioning. It was insane. But, uh, just in a God, few quick, years. Quick. 
quick question: Was that the one where you got the like the portable AC and you would blow out the you would blow out the circuitry? For That's the absolutely building? right. I blow up the entire building's electrical circuits because I was like, <laughs> "Fuck this!" I was on my way out anyway. But at any rate, you had to start really being a fucking hustler. Being an actor anyway in LA, you're a hustler. Every goddamn day, you're hustling. You're trying to figure out where you're going to get your next meal, where you're going to get your next paycheck. Oh, and on top of that, I want to be famous and a working actor. There's a lot of fucking hustle behind Dave Beaudry even now. I mean, he has to. That's the actor's lifestyle. So the thing is that after a while, the hustling was just a fucking nightmare for me. It was a nightmare where you had to make so much money just to goddamn say, I live in Los Angeles and can pay my cell phone bill. Well, around me, I started noticing that people were just shacking up where you had to have a roommate just to fucking live in L.A. Do you know how many people in L.A. I noticed were in relationships they couldn't fucking stand, but they realized they couldn't live there without each other? That happened all the fucking time. All the fucking time. I've never seen so many miserable couples together because they couldn't make it without each other. Go ahead. Quick reference, even now, I know a lot of people who, um, or at least several, let me not overstate it, but who... um, live with a roommate in a one bedroom apartment where the roommate or them, you know, basically lives in the living room as their room. And then the bedroom, the other person takes, and then they have to, I I know quite a few people in that situation. Yeah, it's, it's bad. Well, this was now the early two thousands. Okay. By the time that I left LA, the, my, I had already bought a house um, out there and I had started listening to my friends the rental prices they were paying for like, we're not even talking a studio. We're talking like a one bedroom. You where you would rent a, a room you with this limited access to the rest of the apartment. I had two or three friends of mine that were paying upwards of $1,200 a month for that shit. And with no guarantee that it wasn't going to go up the next fucking month. Okay. I remember uh, Kike coming back from Spain. He needed to stay in LA for a few months looking at rental stuff. He's like, what the fuck happened here, Jay? I'm like, yeah, I told you. And the 110 is worse than the 405 now. So, I mean, I was trying to get out of LA so badly because I could also tell for whatever reason in 20 years, LA, in my opinion, went from being livable to not fucking livable, not, not like a, having any kind of quality of life at all. And at the same time, I started noticing the homeless population just getting humongous. By the time I started working in Woodland Hills, I was uh, working at a fine dining restaurant. I was in the nicer part of Woodland Hills where a lot of the commerce happens by the mall, by the dealerships, shit like that. I mean, it's, it's just roving masses of homeless people. We had people shooting up in the parking garages. Every time that you left a building or went into one, you were asked for money by multiple people. If you stopped for gas at any part of the day, you were asked for for money by people that you knew absolutely because of their absolute appearance and altered personality. We're going to be using it for not food. Let's put it that way. And the crisis was so fucking bad that they started having these, what do you call it, Dave? You would know better than me. But like um, trailers, like trailers would line certain parts of Woodland Hills. I mean, the nicer parts of Woodland Hills where homeless people just shacked up in it and the cops would come bang on the fucking trailers. Like you have to move this trailer. You're going against law, whatever. And they would just like move it up one fucking space. 
so they could be within the law or some shit. And it, the homeless crisis in L.A., I believed, and that's just my opinion, is because of the skyrocketing cost of living that you got people out there that they had kids. They were trying to make a living. Everything was going good. But the cost of just being a human being in Los Angeles, California, got to the point it can't be done. It couldn't be done. It was insane. And of course, people were kicked out of their fucking homes because they could not make enough money, even with two jobs, even with both people working in the home or three people working to make it fucking work. And then you look at all of these videos, which there's now a shit ton of these videos online that you can, you can watch. It's just disgusting. But, but filming the homeless populations on Venice Beach that whole area there and even downtown in Skid Row where, you know, there are lines of people getting help uh, for either they need food, clothing for the night, whatever. And the lines are outrageous and they show them, you know, fighting lawlessness. No one gives a shit. No one seems to be taking care of the beach homeless at all. And it's, it's really scary because you're like, if you don't do something about this now, of course you're going to have disease. Of course you're going to have murders. Of course you're going to have problems. But it is a civilization. I was speaking about L.A. in specific, California probably, uh, the, the whole state, that it is something that they let get completely the fuck out of control. And no one seemed to give a fuck about this issue for the last 20 years. And I witnessed it go from kind of, well, it's bad, to holy fuck. LA tent, is like... You see tent cities like everywhere. Under, like under every overpasses. bridge. Every under bridge and overpass, you see a tent city now. Every one. In my opinion, when I left, I was like, holy shit. It was something where even if you were jaded by the fact that homeless lived around you, you took note. And this is in nicer parts of LA. We're not just talking downtown Skid Row anymore. We're talking all the fuck over the place to, and they have to nowhere where, to go. They have nowhere, they have to, have nowhere to, go. to go. And I just think that at this point, you know, when you can't even take care of a civilization in this capacity, uh, you really need to think about what the fuck's going on, but I have no doubt about it. It's the cost of living. And specifically it was rental prices. Very specifically. I believe Jason Bailey, it was rental prices were so got so out of fucking control because there was no rent control. You have friends in LA that said, Hey, I have a place and it's rent controlled. You, you, everyone looks at them like they fucking got a winning lottery ticket. Everyone's like, what the fuck? And you keep that in house forever, forever, because it's just not, it's unheard of anymore. So at any rate, my two cents on it is LA and California should be ashamed that they allowed this to get to the point that it does, that there didn't seem to be any fucking concern at all until very recently. And you want to know why I think there's some concern now? I think it's because all the rich folk are fucking going, it's too goddamn expensive to live here, and they're taking over Austin. My two cents on that one. Uh, there's an acronym that I think is a big part of the problem. Are, have you heard of the the expression or the the made up word NIMBY? N I M B Y. I have heard of it, but I do not understand it. It means not in my backyard, and it is the problem. Is every time there is a not a solution because there isn't a solution if it was that simple but there anytime there is a possibility of something happening where there could be a shelter built or something that could provide some type of basic infrastructure for the homeless population wherever that is supposed to be 
immediately there is a grassroots movement in that area from the local politicians and from the locals there who throw an absolute fit and say, no, absolutely not do it somewhere else. Do not do it here. And that has caused a gridlock that has existed for decades uh, because everyone's like, no, because then my property value will go down if you put a homeless shelter here. Like, you know, I remember when I first when I first moved to L.A., you know, I was fortunate enough. I had a, had an apartment, had my own, you know, it was it was, uh, it was a bedroom. It was a bedroom and a den. So the den was like my room and it was that was fine. It worked out nicely. It was very spacious. Um, and I, I really loved living there. But, uh, you know, it was the, the rent was as reasonable as you were going to get for that area. But, you know, I was still trying to kind of set up my how I was going to survive there. So I was working like two or three jobs at a time. So there would be times where I'd be working graveyard hours, uh, loading, unloading trucks at first, and then going to like a mall in order to work like the register at a bookstore, you know, and then I would go to an audition like in the afternoon or something. So I remember I would only have maybe an hour, hour and a half in between shifts. So I would drive to the mall, go into the parking lot there, and then just try to catch a nap for like 40 minutes, you know, before I had to go in and work this other shift. And I remember more than once, uh, you know, it's an it's a fairly empty parking lot. I'm, you know, not hurting anybody. I'm not homeless, but I mean, that's kind of irrelevant to the situation. I'm just trying to, you know, catch a nap so I can then go to work and, you know, not drive the car and crash into anything. And more than once, I would have a cop knocking on my window saying, you can't be here. You got to move. Why? Like, and this is, and that's the problem with that the homeless face is they're constantly shuffled around with no solutions given to them. Like, well, you can't be here. Okay, where can I go? You can't be here. So then you go somewhere else. And then you're told you can't be there either. And then they, you know, they criminalize homelessness by putting up these, these laws like you can't park here between the hours of, of two and six in the morning, right? Uh, or they'll put the fucking spikes on like a, they'll hook, make a bench so that people can't lay down on it. Like, okay, you're, you're forcing these people into this transient lifestyle to where they constantly have to move around, where they can't set up any type of infrastructure. And yes, I understand the problems that are associated with, with, uh, you know, tent camps and, and, you know, the sanitary issues. And like, those are very real problems. I, I'm not, uh, you know, I, I'm not non-receptive to the issues of the people who already live in that area who don't want that type of element in where they live. I understand that. But when there is a possibility of like a shelter being built or a possibility of like shipping containers have been converted into studio apartments, which is uh, another thing that's actually had pretty good success where they've tried it. Um, when you have these things that are being proposed on this land that is not being used or that is already owned by you know, transit or whatever, that they would convert into something that could possibly help people, you immediately have everyone in that area start screaming, saying, not here, do it somewhere else. And that causes this gridlock that has caused nothing to get done. <clears throat> Meanwhile, the problem just gets worse and worse. And Venice is the one that has really kind of gotten the most attention in the last couple of weeks. 
Uh, so that's that's a bit NIMBY, not in my backyard, is a big fucking problem that I think has contributed a lot, along with what you mentioned, Jason, as far as the rent prices and just cost of living. I still think we're feeling the effects of the financial crisis from 2007, 2008, where the housing market blew up. And then, you know, the big banks got all these bailouts. The people who got thrown out of their homes didn't. Mm-hmm. And people lost their life savings and then are stuck. And where are they supposed to go? And then there's another problem that I sent you a video on where now what is happening is you're having private equity firms, not just in L.A., but like in markets all over the country that are buying up the available housing and they're paying like $100,000, $200,000 cash above asking price specifically so that they can take that home off the buying market and rent it out to people. And then these private equity firms become your landlord. And if you think they're not raising rent at every opportunity and denying every repair they possibly can, then you're blind. And I'm not against, you know, people selling their home for well above asking price if they can do it. In the short term, that's great for the sellers. But in the long term effect it's going to have on the housing market, it's squeezing out the traditional American dream of somebody, you know, gets married and has kids or, or, or whether kids are involved or not, you know, the housing was always the best way in America to create equity and actually create wealth over time that could then be intergenerational. With private equity firms and private corporations buying up available housing so that they can then force a rental market or an Airbnb market or whatever it is, you're going to see that eliminated in the long term. And you don't want a private private equity firm as your landlord. I don't know what the solution is there, um, but I think you know there's BlackRock is one that's gotten a lot of press recently, but they're certainly not the only ones. But <clears throat> buying up the housing so that you can transition it into rentals and then you can abuse the renters is another problem that we're seeing not just in LA or in big in uh, you know big cities, but in you know areas all across the country. Allentown, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Allentown, so, Pennsylvania. So uh, also, you know, I wanted to ask you, Dave, because you because you, you live there, you have a track on this a lot better than I do. But it was something that at the beginning of the pandemic, I was um, really upset about because when they were like, well, we're going to send all this stimulus checks and this will help you out and blah, blah. And I know people did need those stimulus checks. But what what I was proposing is that there's a halt on payment of everything. When society shuts down, the large payments such as mortgage, rent, and this even goes for like, you know, people who own said property, not yeah. paying back the fucking banks for this amount of time. If you're going to stop society, then we really do need to stop society. You cannot tell people you cannot work, you can't make money, but you still need to pay fucking rent. You still need to pay your mortgage. You can't tell landlords to pay the fucking bank back when the people that they're renting houses out to can't give them the fucking money. And I said, if you do that, if you say, listen, until the pandemic's open or over, you do not have to pay mortgage, rent, college debt, or credit card bills for those months or car payments. Like if we're shutting down for six months, we're shutting down for six months. We're shutting down for a fucking year. We're shutting down for a fucking year. That, in my opinion, would have helped society and civilization way better than $1,400, $2,000, $300, whatever the fuck it was people were getting, okay? Uh, and here we are. So 
Because I was thinking, okay, you're you're letting people not pay rent. You're saying, hey, you don't have to you don't have to get kicked out of your house if you can't pay the rent. And all I was thinking is, well, that's fucking great. But what are you what are you telling these people to do once society starts back up? And then I found out, but you got to pay it all back when so get the fuck out of here. Most people can't pay their fucking rent, or it's hard for them to pay their rent month to month. I have people I know people who can barely pay their fucking mortgage month to month. Then you're gonna tell them that okay, you now owe a year's worth of your fucking mortgage, pal. Get that is fucking insane. So then when I heard that, I was like, well, they're going to, that if they do that, as particularly in Los Angeles, California, fuck it. Fuck it. If they can kick anyone out for not paying this back over whatever they set up for them, every motherfucker in Los Angeles will be evicted from their said home. All of them, poor, middle class, and rich, will be kicked out of their abodes. So you have not the, the inside... Not the rich. They always carve out the <clears throat> exemptions. Oh, you're right. But, you know, all the rich, I forgot, they bailed out to Austin. So, anyway, Austin's new L.A. But uh, the middle class and the poor, you're fucked. So what did they actually come up with, Dave? What's this master plan that California's doing? There isn't one. I mean, the, the I know what you're referencing, so I will, you know, certainly go along with that. But the... Uh, what you're referencing is that Gavin Newsom has talked about, and I think part of this is because he's facing a recall. So I think he's mm-hmm. he's trying to, uh, and I don't say this negatively because it's not a bad move politically, but he's essentially trying to buy off his electorate so that he stays in office. But uh, he said basically that California has enough money from the various uh, you know pandemic responses that have been passed or whatever that the state could actually pay most or all of like the back rent that is due across the state. Um, and then they're talking about how that could possibly be implemented, what what qualifications would be required from the renter, uh, what qualifications would be required from the landlord to receive it, like. I don't know if any of that will actually go through, but it's currently being discussed. Another example I would like to use, not pandemic related, because the pandemic has contributed. Don't get me wrong. And I have, I am sympathetic to landlords that suddenly had their income streams cut off because all of a sudden no one's paying rent. Um, and then also to the renters that had no money coming into where they couldn't pay. Like it sucked for everybody. We are, and we're still, well, most and we're still you know figuring it out and still still going through it as i said it's not an easy it's not an easy fix or an easy solution um but i'd like to use an example prior to that in inglewood you've had people because inglewood has been low income area generally for a very long time then the big stadium was getting built there for the you know uh the rams to play in and the, the whatever like they're building a big sports plex there and all this industry is moving in or whatever Immediately, and you can look it up, find all these news stories about it. As soon as that started happening, you had people that had been living there for like 30 years, and all of a sudden their landlord came to them and said, rent is going up by $4,000 next month. You had forced gentrification that happened almost immediately where landlords that were able to jacked the rent up so much to force their renters out so that they could then either sell the property to a business or rent it out to more you know, affluent people. So you had all these people that had called Inglewood their home for decades, all of a sudden being told, you're not welcome here anymore, get out. Mm-hmm. That is a microcosm for the housing crisis and the homelessness crisis, I think, across the country. Absolutely. It's, it's really disgusting, honestly. 
um, that this is what's going on. But uh, if, if you needed any proof that the American dream no longer fucking exists, it's coming. It's fucking coming uh, in every way. But um, it's I was watching the news and what Newsom was basically also saying is something like, I don't know if you were in the bottom 20% or you couldn't make a certain amount and you had to show evidence that you applied for financial aid, all this hoops and fucking things that you got to jump through. But I hope they, they figure it out. They can't get unemployment right. How are they going <clears> to <throat> no. organize this? No, I hope they, because the, the issue is as much as I bag on LA now that I'm not there and I think it's well-deserved, honestly, uh, it's always in my heart. It's my hometown. It really is. And I'll sit there and just shake my fucking head at what's happening. I think LA's time in the sun has come and motherfucking gone. Now it's time and the fire is here. All the money that's been made in that town is fucking leaving. I always knew that when uh, distribution technologically and could, could be done anywhere for film and entertainment that the industry itself would start to disperse, that it would Job no longer... Job guys on Amazon Prime! <laughs> I'm sorry, would... Jason. I had an okay. opening. I had to take it. That would no longer... You no longer would need to come to Los Angeles, California to make it in the show business industry that th there would be a fucking problem. Because at that point, you just have a city that's cost of living is fucking out of goddamn control. You've got a homeless population that there's no goddamn end to, and you've got all the people who make the fucking money leaving, okay? So it's a it's a recipe for fucking disaster in L.A., and I'm not telling well, you that eviction moratorium. I'm sorry, Jason. That eviction moratorium is a ticking time bomb. It and is. I don't, mean, I don't mean that like I'm against the eviction moratorium. I mean that in the sense that when they, and they, you know, they just, in California, L.A. pushed it back because it was supposed to be the end of this month, I think, or end of July, but I thought it was end of June. Um, L.A. pushed it back first, and then I believe the state pushed it back, like, <clears throat> statewide. Um, you know, and it's, and it's good that they did, but at the same time, like, it's, you know, TikTok motherfuckers, like I, the day's I, gonna come, and then all of a sudden, all these people are gonna be just forced out. I think that if you're a, a you know LAPD, all you're going to be fucking doing is pushing people out of their homes very, very fucking soon. That'll be literally what you do all day long. I, I uh, really shake my head and think, boy, you better figure that out in that fucking city. In most cities, but I'm just speaking from my heart because I. I'm from LA. That's my city. And I just shake my head going, I don't know how you motherfuckers are going to do this. I don't because I, I just think it's one of those things where everyone just throws up their hands and go, this money's never coming. Everyone gets to stay in your home. Let's start again. Because it's just, there is no way to rectify this without increasing the homeless population just immensely, fucking immensely. So, hey, well, good luck out there, LA. Well, you know, we need to move on to our last topic, but let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, solutions. It is... From every study that I have seen, um, it is actually statistically cheaper to provide housing for the homeless on a taxpayer expense than it is to provide the infrastructure that is currently needed to support medical services and you know whether it be drug overdoses for the people that have those dependency issues. <clears throat> it is more expensive for the state to be dealing with homelessness the way it currently is, then it would be, <clears throat> excuse me, 
if they just used the, you know, the, and it sounds kind of barbaric, you know, put them in shipping containers. Look it up. Shipping containers have actually proven to be very actually useful and can, can be converted into very reasonable and comfortable, you know, studio apartments for people. Um, it takes some doing, obviously, but, um, you know, and then also there are homes that can be built via um, uh, 3D printer. Like there's technology out there that's amazing that has actually brought the cost down. It's cheaper for the state to actually provide housing for the people that don't have it than it is to use those same taxpayer dollars to treat the homeless that are in their current situation. Everybody wins if we just if if taxpayer dollars go towards providing housing for people that don't have it. It's cheaper and it provides better quality of life. The problem is anytime they try to do it anywhere, NIMBY picks up and you have all the Karens come out. Not in my neighborhood. No, go elsewhere. My mm -hmm. property value is not going down because I want to sell my house to a private <clears throat> equity firm. Yeah, and Karens can be men too. We're not uh, we're not gender specific. Yeah, they're generally referred to as Kevin's, but but you know, a buddy of <laughs> mine who I actually uh, who I produce everything with, he's he's one of the stars of Job Guys. He jokingly he, he joke he jokingly was like, "Why does it got to be Kevin, dude? Like, why why do because I got you bitch about everything? Shut the so, fuck up." So out of um, respect for that, I was avoiding <laughs> I was avoiding the male equivalent name, but yes. Okay. Well, hey, I actually saw a um, an entire documentary little thing uh, and I forget which news channel had it where they were taking and this was in LA and I forget the part of LA it's in so forgive me I didn't keep it in my head but it is you're in LA. fired you're fired bitch um they've been taking uh, I guess you would call it like uh backyard shed type uh apparatus you know like if you were to buy a fully formed shed for your backyard yeah and yeah, it's yeah. like a small home like a tiny home already but it's a shed and they and but they it's have, got plumbing and stuff yeah they, they put it it, they put it in but they also have like uh you know they've got a shower uh like how they do in san francisco for the homeless where the you know there are shower rooms public shower rooms that can be used and all of this and it is true that it costs them very little to set this up it gives people a chance to be on their feet again. They get both, um, they get advised on a daily basis. Medically, they get um, job counseling to set them up with jobs. And they also have a mental health facility there as well, where they have somebody that comes in, a psychologist that sits down and will help them, uh, therapists get them, you know, back on their feet again. Now, if you look at doing this, for LA in parts of around the around Los Angeles, then believe me, there are tons of open motherfucking spaces in Los Angeles. There really are. And unless you live out there, you would not know what the fuck I'm talking about. But there are places to do this. There's everywhere. so many abandoned buildings. There's so many it's, just yes. empty lots. And instead of turning it into one more goddamn microbrewery, maybe we could fucking, you know, supply it to people who really need this help. But it was showing like how little it cost and how much it was affecting in such a positive way people who had nowhere to go they never had a chance they didn't need you know any kind of like handout they just need a hand up they just needed somebody to go yo give this person a few months here and let's get them back on their fucking feet again and that's exactly what we need to do but i think that la reaps what it sowed it made this bed now it's going to fucking sleep in it or if you're homeless you get no bed to sleep in at all but at this rate la has got to start investing in the homeless issue and in and in just people let's just call them people you need to start investing in your fucking people la because this is going to be your legacy all your rich motherfuckers raped you and left now what you're stuck with is middle class and poor 
who can't afford to live there, got nowhere to go, now you got a fucking issue, bitches. Now you have got to confront the issue right now. Well, there's also a stigma attached to it where you have people saying, like, you know, I don't want my tax dollars, you know, when I'm working so hard and I don't want the tax dollars that I'm paying to go to drug addicts and blah, 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 blah. Like, that stigma needs to also kind of be re-educated. First of all, our tax dollars are going towards billions of dollars in bombing other countries and killing people that had nothing to do with us. And I'm not, I'm not against money for defense. Let's be clear on that. Uh, obviously, you need a military, and you know I, I understand all that and have a healthy respect for it. But let's also be real: uh, the military budget is also incredibly bloated, um, and there's an entire you know I mean there's an entire like places in in Vegas that just have rows and rows of like planes and tanks and shit that got built and never got used, and it was just solely because the politicians lobbied like, well, I want to keep the jobs here, so they would build the shit and then just immediately throw it into a fucking stockpile. You can look it up; it's not conjecture. Um, if that money could be spent on people actually in the country to help them, you know, to reinvest, give them a roof over their head, like, why not do that? It's not, the problem is you immediately have, well, that's socialism. No, it isn't. Socialism is when you have takeovers of businesses and like nobody owns anything. And, you know, that, that's not what this is. Um, please know what the term is before you start throwing it around. Cause that's a, that's a big talking point where everything somebody doesn't like now is socialism. Um, no, like public health care is not socialism and taking care of the homeless population is not socialism. Let's, let's get that out of the fucking way. And again, if you're talking about strictly an economic standpoint, it is cheaper to provide that infrastructure than it is to do what we're currently doing where everybody is fucking miserable. Heard. All right. Uh, if you have any feedback on that, dozens, uh, by all means. And I, I would actually be interested also in, you know, in listeners that live in Israel or Portugal or, you know, Spain or wherever, uh, what your perception is of, of how your countries or your local municipalities or whatever are dealing with homeless, because homelessness exists everywhere, how that gets handled in various countries and various parts of countries. And I, I'd be interested in having that, that knowledge and that conversation. So you know where to send it. Absolutely. You know where to send it. Yes, sir. All right. So weeks and weeks and weeks and months ago, Jason, you and I did a segment that got a lot of traction where we both put together our own individual <clears throat> WrestleMania cards where the rules were, could be anybody from any era, live or dead. Uh, you could only use the same person once. So, of course, Jason used Hulk Hogan like three times and Randy Savage twice. Uh, and we formed our own dream cards. Now, we have talked about many of these matches in the past. There's one that we kept wanting to get to, and then just things kept kind of coming up that we needed to talk to more urgently. But today is the day. One of the big matches that Jason came up with that I'm a big fan of was on his dream card, he had Brock Lesnar versus Vader. We're not talking Vader from Star Wars, just for those that don't know. We're talking Big Van Vader, who originally came from Japan, became a big star in WCW as well, had a brief run in WWF. He wasn't used as well as he could have. But the man was a beast. And beast versus beast is really what this comes down to. Uh, the beast versus the Mastodon. Vader go. versus Brock Lesnar. Uh, Jason, you were the one who came up with it, so talk it out. Okay, so I just want to give a little bit of context that, yeah, we finally got back to it. The, the number one uh, match between, I think, the 16 matches or some shit we came up with, the number one that was that people wanted to hear or see or wish they had was the one we had talked about at the very beginning was uh, Roddy Piper versus Jake the Snake Roberts. People just 
That, that, was my, that was my contribution. That was my contribution, there by you the way. Go, just buddy. throwing that out there. But it was fantastic, and we had a great time with that one. Uh, but right behind that one was Big Van Vader versus Brock Lesnar, the Mastodon versus the Beast. And how I would see it and why I loved it so much is because I always look at, first of all, like I talked about legacy and how my love for certain wrestlers, it gaining traction or losing traction over the years. Uh, Big Van Vader has just keeps gaining. He just keeps on fucking gaining because the more I watch his matches from yesteryear, the more I'm like, this motherfucker could have existed in really any incarnation of wrestling. I think that he could have been used a lot better. It should have been used in the attitude era a lot better, but Vince simply didn't understand what the fuck he had on his hands at all. Well, Shawn Michaels didn't like him and that also contributed. Well, yeah, but I'm telling you big van Vader. If you go back and look at his matches, remind me an awful fucking lot of what Brock Lesnar later brought to the table. There was a lot of legitimacy in the fact that you could tell when he's striking opponents, he's fucking striking goddamn opponents. He has got some real potatoes in there and he's wrestling, you know, opening people up the hard way. He's fucking really shooting on them. He's hard style Japanese all the way. And also with uh, Vader, there was an intimidation factor. He was larger than most all the other opponents, giving him this bully factor. He was, of, billed, uh, he was billed at 450 pounds. <clears throat> I forget how tall he was. Was he like 6'4", 6'5"? I, I don't think he was 6'5", but 6'4", maybe? He I was, don't know how tall he was. He was 6'3", but they would always bill him at 6'4", with his boot, because some wrestlers yeah. put an inch or so on their boot. So they would bill him at 6'4", something or another, uh, and he would go, when he was in Svelte, you know, thin old Vader shape. He was 390, but he did get up to 450. But the cool thing about Vader is he was the first, they call him big man. I just call them fat asses. The first real fat wrestler that could get on the ropes and start doing aerial maneuvers and acrobatic type maneuvers. And that's unfucking believable. Most men, his size can't even get the fuck out of their own cars. So it was just unbelievable to see him wrestle. Bigelow, Bigelow preceded him, but they had different styles and Bigelow was not as big as Vader. No, I mean, it was, but he was a big man that was doing acrobatic shit before Vader came in. But I mean, to see a 450 pound man do a moonsault off the ropes Get the fuck out of here. It was unbelievable. And this was, he kind of picked this up later on. This was not part of his repertoire when he was younger. He started doing this shit as he was aging. So the deal is, I I love Big Van Vader. I think we've covered that. Well, all of a sudden, here comes Brock Lesnar. Now, Brock Lesnar is motherfucking huge too, okay? Now, Brock's carrying a lot more muscle, okay, obviously, than, than Vader was. But he's also... 6'3", and also, I mean, he was not as heavy as Vader, but he would get up to about 300, 310 pounds at certain times. When he was when he was fighting in the UFC, he had to cut weight to make 265, which was the heavyweight limit. Think about that for a second. I'm cutting down to 265. Holy shit. So, I mean, he that's a humongous human being to be 6'3", 300 pounds of fucking muscle. Jesus Christ. So you would watch him, and now I'm talking about particularly his earlier years in, let's say, 2000, 2001. Brock Lesnar was not just also that dominating um, persona. You knew he could legitimately wrestle. He can legitimately beat your ass, okay? This is before he got into UFC, but you knew 
<clears throat> he had these attributes because of his accomplishments in college. And then also watching him do the shooting star press reminded me a lot of Big Van Vader. Now, he would have some consequences in a WrestleMania moment, an infamous WrestleMania moment that he did this on. But to see a huge man also be able to do these kind of acrobatics with his body was, was amazing. So when I look at Big Van Vader, what I'm seeing in my eyes is this is a prototype of what Brock Lesnar will be later on. I always think that Vader probably somewhere in the early 90s, maybe 90, 91, 92 versus Lesnar. And if you have this dream universe, Lesnar is in the early 2000s, probably 2000, 2001, uh, you know, 10 years later, you get them in a match together, a no holds barred match, or even a, a fucking um, steel cage match. You know what I mean? To watch the two of them brutalize each other. Honestly, Dave, I see it as them pushing right through the fucking cage, like bending steel and shit, pushing each other right through, having the whole spot where the ring explodes. I want to see Godzilla versus King Kong as a wrestling match. These two motherfuckers could get it done. Honestly, just for gimmick's sake, I would have the first three rows. All the people have to stand up and move back because we could no longer guarantee their fucking protection. These two men would literally probably take the guardrails and beat each other to death with them. And then to see them using the cage, they don't have to go all the way to the top, but just using the cage for different aerial uh, movements on each other and seeing the acrobatics, the gymnastic lucha type wrestling that they could pull in the same way beating the fuck out of each other hard way is awesome. Of course, Vader would lose his mask. Of course, there would be fucking blood. I would give the match to Brock Lesnar. I think Brock wins it. I think he's just more believable as the the winner. But I would also make sure that Vader had that great Vader comeback, got all his shit in, the, the Vader bomb, the moonsault, all that in so that you could see what these two men could do. But to me, that'll sell out any arena, any time in the history of pro wrestling. And I think people would still be talking about it had something like that happened. A big part of the presentation as well that we really should not ignore is uh, Paul Heyman in Lesnar's corner. Now, Heyman was never one with Lesnar to really like interfere at ringside, but his his promos leading up to a match would be fucking epic. And then 92 Vader had Harley Race as his manager in WCW, and I really do think Harley contributed greatly to the overall mm -hmm. presentation of that was the best version of Vader in the United States that ever existed. And I think Harley Race deserves a lot of credit for contributing to that. So I think in the and and Vader could talk, but Harley also just contributed so much as just the obnoxious manager who also is a legit tough guy. So in the, the build-up to the match, I think the interactions between not only Vader and, and Lesnar, but also Harley and Heyman would also really add to the magic of that environment. Oh, you are so right. Uh, when when Vader was in WCW calling him Mr. Race, I mean, giving him that respect, and even Vader would say in the car... 
he he bowed down to Harley Race. He said, you have no idea Harley Race was a legit tough man, and his psychology of wrestling was, uh, there was nobody, par excellence, nobody was better than Harley Race at talking wrestling. And so you got, that would lead up, and maybe Race could rough up fucking, you know, Paul Heyman a little bit. That would be pretty fucking tight as well. You know, you know Race would take a bump off of Lesnar. Oh, yeah, Lesnar could beat the fuck out of Race, too. So to get them involved would be great, but you're right, Harley Race was certainly part of a great Vader package and and uh, to have those two ringside the shenanigans outside the fucking steel cage might just be as fucking entertaining as the shit that's happening inside that's why for me I would actually especially if it was a one-off I would actually prefer to not have the cage there just so they could go to ringside and they could have more interactions with the managers and stuff if you were doing an extended feud then I definitely think you ended in the cage because that yeah. would be just phenomenal yeah, absolutely. Anything that can just, I mean, I'd give them sparks, barbed wire, whatever the hell they wanted, but just seeing, it really is like a monster movie. In my opinion, having Vader versus Brock Lesnar as my dream match is the closest thing to Godzilla versus King Kong. Watching just these two animals just fucking destroy each other. I'm telling you, you could, because you know Vader could go 30 minutes. No fucking problem. He never got tired. No fucking problem at all. And you just to see a 30 minute fucking uh, monster movie inside a ring. Those were my two choices. And I would love to hear from all the wrestling fans out there what they would have wanted to see. But you bringing that aspect of race and uh, Paul Heyman there. Oh, now I want to fucking watch this goddamn thing, man. Now I, now I need to go, we'll go back and watch some Vader matches. But yeah, that was uh, that's the one I marked out for and uh, would totally, totally love to have seen that. And I mean, the ring exploding, fucking ropes popping, the whole goddamn thing. Them destroy the entire fucking arena and all the fans run out screaming. That's how it ends on the pay-per-view. Uh, that's our that's our show this week, Jason. Now you get you got any final final thoughts for the dozens before you come out of the closet? <laughs> uh, we knew it was going to happen eventually. Um, hey, ladies and gentlemen out there, all you wonderful dozens, I can't tell you how awesome it is to hear from you guys. Thank you for contacting us, Carlos and Israel. We really, really do appreciate you out there, all of you listening. And and like I said, if you enjoy what we do here, you love listening to this podcast, which I know you do. Telegram, telephone, and tell a motherfucking friend that we are here and we are here to stay. You, me, and all of us are one day closer to dead. And thank you very, very much. And that is our show. You know where to reach us, Dozens. And for the Dozens. And Dozens. Of listeners out there, I am Dave Beaudry. And I am still your Jason Bailey. The vanilla Godzilla that is slightly less red this week than he was last week, so that is good. We are one day closer to dead, but that day is not and will not, hopefully, because it's still early, be today. So until next week, folks. <laughs>